Welcome to Season 4 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership education, training, and development. Interested in keeping up with the leaders' conversations across the leadership discipline? Want to add more to your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design without changing your routine? Well, this is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you don't never miss an episode. Hello, and welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And I'm Dan Jenkins, Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And we are both thrilled for this episode of the podcast. We're joined today by Drs. Lindsay Lyons and Cherie Bridges-Patrick. Welcome. Thank you so Thank much. You. Good to be here. We're excited to have you, right, Dan? We're thrilled to have I these guests. over today. the moon. um so welcome ladies it's so exciting it's it's so funny um we are connected through our doctoral work so as we were sharing uh, before we you know started recording that the three of us of course have been in the same space um you know seeing each other at residencies work with the same faculty members so i've had a lot of the same mentors and leaders in our space um and i can think about i know when i met lindsay because i went to her dissertation and and i was thinking about sherry and i was like gosh like i know sherry and i'm familiar with her but i don't remember i don't have a pinpointed story of when we met um but then we realized we were both at lindsay's dissertation which was so interesting. Um, and I just remember, Lindsay, when you were talking in your dissertation, because your work was around high school and uh, high school students and leadership programs. And I just remember thinking that there were so many parallels and there was so much overlap in your research. And, um, you know, what I was looking at or what I was experiencing with my students at that time in college, then I was like, there's some things that were, were totally different in my experience. And I just remember leaving your dissertation excited because I was like, well, I can't wait to do a dissertation like that. Like it's, it's, it was entertaining. Like it was, I don't remember, I don't know if that's the right way to describe it, but it was really a, a good defense. It was a great presentation, but then also I just knew I was going to have some conversation with you down the line. And so I'm happy that it, it could happen today. Um, so we know we're all connected through our, our school, but I guess where we'd like to start is how did you two connect? How did you two first meet? Well, first, thank you so much, Lauren. I remember I have images of that day where we were chatting after my dissertation. So I, I'm so grateful for your kind words there. And I think it's so interesting how parallel the K-12 experience is to the high school um, or the college experience, right? And I think Sheree and I have found that kind of in our work as well, working in kind of both of those spaces. So I think that's that's awesome that you named that. Um, Sheree, I'll let you chime in a bit here, but my, my thought is, you know, we went through the whole program together. We were in the same cohort. We shared a lot of similar experiences just at the cohort level. And then I think the moment for me was in summer 2020 via social media. Uh, I think I had said something about teaching for justice and Cherie, you commented. And I think it was just kind of like, you know, yeah. And I would push you to think about X or whatever. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Would you be okay talking more about this? I'd love to collaborate. And then from there, it was like, we're writing blog posts together. We're being on podcast episodes together. We're creating this amazing, I mean, what we have now is this amazing kind of consulting and coaching practice that we're developing packages and working with uh, educators and kind of all spaces K through 16 plus. So that's been really an exciting journey for me. So thank you, Lindsay. And, and I'm, I'm so glad to be here. Uh, and thank you for the invitation. So just to, to add just a little bit 
of, of my perspective on my experience with Lindsay. So, you know, Lindsay throughout the program was, she was on fire and I just would watch her in amazement, like, oh my goodness, she is, she's focused. She just, she just did what she needed to do. And so I just appreciated that and, and had, you know, had my eye on her all along, not for any reason, just out of amazement, you know? Um, and so then that, that moment came in 2020. And I don't remember what that post was, Lindsay, but I, re I remember like, boom, we had had all these experiences in our cohort together and they were shared experiences, but from different perspectives. And, and yet we came to, this, to a similar conclusion. And I think that was part of the grounding of, of how we determined you know, that, that that was, you know, we needed to be doing this kind of racial justice work together because the, the cohort dynamics were, were such that, you know, there was a, a racial, you know, huge racial imbalance. There's, you know, a few, uh, two, two, two black people and uh, one African lady and, and one native. Uh, so it was just, it was fascinating to go through that with her. Um, and so I have just been uh, just excited to, to work with Lindsay over this time. And I, you reminded me when you started talking about our early work together, man, we came out of the, we came out of the bit so fast. Oh my gosh. And, and as you said it, I could feel my, my face, you know, just blow back in and my hair blowing back because we went out so fast and we hustled and we used some of some of my work. And so we were putting newsletters and stuff together. So that was that was an exciting time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, and it's been fast paced uh, ever since. And, and you know, I think um, one of the things that I appreciate about working with Lindsay is that, you know, we're both willing, you know, to, to make the mistakes and, and we're both willing to try to incorporate what we're asking people to do out there in our own lives. And so, and, and we, we get better in doing that and in our own practice. I love this this origin story of how y'all got that going together and formed this partnership. And so you've talked a little bit about about this this work that you, you've done together. Can you tell me a little bit more? How did you decide to commit to doing racial justice training together? Like, what's the evolution, the full evolution of this partnership? I'll start us off, Bishri. I'm sure you have a better <laughs> memory or recollection of different moments. We started with taking Cherie's work, which from her dissertation and writing, kind of co-writing a bit. I mean, Cherie was basically guest posting on my blog, but we would kind of collaborate a little bit in the writing space. And we published, as Cherie said, it was like four blog posts in four weeks kind of thing, or maybe even four in two weeks. It was very fast. And Cherie was like, oh my goodness, what did I get myself into? <laughs> so from there, we kind of started thinking, I, th I think the next jump was workshops. And so how do we take this and actually do this as a professional development workshops for educators? Um, and I mean, in my experiences in the K-12 space, we both have experience in the um, college setting. And so that was a really a nice extension. We started working with Merrimack College, um, both actually for professors and staff and students. And so seeing how that was kind of relevant for everyone in that space, um, talking about specifically discourse, our work has been centered on discourse, which is an extension of Sheree's work in her dissertation. Um, we also in that writing space, that initial blog post writing collaboration actually led to two chapters that are going to be published in books that we've been writing on as well. So it's kind of been this interesting evolution um, there. And then Sheree also, I don't know if you want to talk more about the coaching element, but that's kind of been a newer pivot point for us expanding beyond just the PD workshop. And what does it look like to work very closely with professors and staff and eventually maybe families and students um, in the racial justice leadership work that happens internally in our own interpersonal spaces beyond maybe the organization. 
So thanks, Lindsay. Um, just a little bit about my research. I my my work explored how um, subtle and nuanced racial dominance was found in social worker discourses, right? Without intent. Um, and so I'm a clinical social worker by training, and um, and so you know I look at at the ways that social workers talked amongst themselves about race and racism, right? Because we have a social justice foundation, right? So we are out there supposedly, you know, really trying to, to, um, to uh, be advocates, to advocate for, to help folks around issues of social justice. And so what I, what I found was that in our discourses, we were just reproducing, right? And, and, that's, and it was a surprise to me at the time, but, you know, being able to step back, it's like, well, why, why wouldn't this be the case? And so when, when I talk about discourse, I'm talking about the ways in which we talk about what we talk about. Right, because the ways we do that, it, it paints, it tells a story, it it creates, it you know, it undermines, it does all these things, um, and so then you know, our like Lindsay said, you know, our, our work started to build on 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 um, on, on each other, um, and and we we wrote, and then part of what I bring to the table, I think, is as a clinical social worker, I understand. Um, uh, trauma and how that how that impacts us. And so when we're talking about uh, coaching and and uh, consulting, you know, it's like how 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 has this impacted our ability to communicate with one another? And it does in so many different ways. And so part of my research uh, out, of, out of my research came um, this notion of dignity and how, you know, and, and I had a focus group that um, that sat down and, and talked about you know, experiences. And, and from there, in our interactions, I was able to pull out the notion of dignity, the notion of safety, safety not being safe from, you know, from, <laughs> from uh, discomfort, safety meaning psychological safety, right? And so those things, you know, went into our coaching work. And so that's continued to build and it's continued to look at trauma and the impact that it has on our ability to relate to one another. And it just ties perfectly with teachers and students. Like, you know, you have, you have we're, we're all dysregulated, right? So if we're, we come into the space and I, as, a, as an instructor, am uh, dysregulated because life has over the last, I mean, it, it's been crazy, but this last year and a half has really thrown some stuff out at us. So if I come in already dysregulated as a, as a, as a instructor and my students are coming in dysregulated because all of these things are going on, whether it's virtual, whether it's um, in person, we're gonna clash, right? Because our bodies, our, our, our nervous systems are reading off one another. And so that's, you know, we've, we've progressed into that in the coaching piece and in the consulting piece. And I, and I really believe that that is going to be really foundational um, in, in the work of really being able to have generative conversations about race and racism and those other things that we don't want to talk about. But, but race and racism and racial justice, those are the things that, that we just we, we can't we can't come together on. So being able to understand and map out, you know, my responses to how, you know, to, to what's happening can really be um, useful in, in moving the work forward. So that's the yeah. piece that I bring. What meaningful work. Uh, and I love that you share that, especially because like in my own work, that's what I'm looking at. So the experiences that we've had related to race, um, the political issues, the challenges with the economy, how is that affecting how faculty members are showing up in the class? And are they able to then foster those positive interactions that students need in order to meet academic and social and professional outcomes associated with college, right? And so we know all of those things, like if we're hearing, you know, all of that, 
that noise, it's not like all of a sudden we can, you know, turn it off when we go in the classroom. Like it's subconsciously showing up or non-consciously showing up in everything that we do. And, and having the presence and wherewithal to, to just recognize that is a lot. But then I think about like, so then what do I do? And it sounds like the work that you two do center on, you know, getting past that. Now that you know, what can you do next? Um, which I imagine in your, your professional development may create some challenges for folks, just meaning, you know, are, are people willing to accept that? Do, do they believe you? Do they go with it just because they're in that space? Like, how do you kind of navigate those challenges when you're in a workshop or when, when you're engaging with folks around this work? I think one of the things for us is it, it's reflecting in and on, right? So there's this reflection in the moment of our practice and reflectively, and I loved, I just listened to your episode with John Morgan. And so he's talking about critical reflection, right? And so the idea of critical reflection being difficult because it's a reflection on our own assumptions. I thought that was really powerful how he said that critical thinking, you can critique other people. That's a little bit easier, but when we're critically reflecting on our own stuff, that's powerful. And that's what we, we want to do in the moment, in our internal work, in our interpersonal work. And then also the piece I bring is in curriculum as well. So in my experience, teachers in professional development will often ask the question in some form or another, how do I teach for justice and basically not push my own way of thinking on kids or not be too political? You know, it comes out in different ways, but that has been, I think the biggest piece of resistance for teachers who are frustrated, traumatized, grieving, given all the things that are happening in the world, and then having to show up in the class with whatever students that they have, bringing whatever they have, bringing whatever their families have into that conversation and not even knowing how to navigate it. And oftentimes that stops the teachers from even engaging in the conversation. And it definitely stops the teachers from building curriculum that's going to put that front and center. And so I think that's a big challenge. And not to cut you off, but I love that you say that too, because it's not like the students don't see and and assign identities to us. And, you know, like I come in, there was a class where I was talking about a leadership theory and communication. I think it was about like rhetoric. And I was using Donald Trump as the example. And students were almost kind of like, why, why would she say like visibly I identify as a black woman? Why would she say that? Is she, you know, and they went down this long line and I'm just like, well, I, I, I can hold a couple of different thoughts. Um, however, you know, it, I still got to teach the material, whether or not, you know, you, whatever identity assigned to me, I still got to teach this material. And so I love that you share, like, we almost ignore it as if they're not going to see it or not going to, going to expect that. All right, Jerry, did you want to jump in too? I, I do. Um, one of the things that, um, <laughs> that I'm, I'm realizing just more and more and more is the place that we find ourselves now right, whether it's in classrooms, whether it's in workplaces, whether it's at home, there is so much tension, there's so much anxiety and dysregulation around that. And so I I did a a presentation over the weekend. And and prior to that, there were some things that made me realize that in the moment, I have to give people tools to navigate, um, just to navigate a conversation um, in, in the moment, right? And, and because, in, and think about all the things that we have going on. We've got, you know, the, 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 the Chauvin hearing, the, the, the murders, all, all these things are happening all around us. And whether or not we're looking at, we're carrying that weight, right? We're carrying that collective weight. And so 
it, it, what I what I did was I broke I broke some of the things down even more than I typically do uh, that the practices. So it's like, OK, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, we're going to pause and, and we're going to check in on ourselves. We're going to, you know, look at it. We're going to name what we're feeling, right? We're going to name the sensations that we're having and, and, and then you're going to rate them. And so then you can check in with yourself and see what's happening with your body. That's going to inform how you, re, how you respond to this moment in this moment. Right. And, and doing that was helpful. Um, but you know, that I, I think that's one of the things that I have learned over time is that um, because of the, the social pressures that, that we're all experiencing, um, that is something that has to happen because you're, I agree, you know, uh, instructors and, 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 and the people who are, who are leading some of this work, we go in without really exploring how we have been amp- impacted, you know, by all of this. And we just assume that we're going to be doing something for them. No, I can't come to the table as a whole person if I have not investigated my own, if I have not deconstructed all this stuff that's happening inside me so that then I can have a, a, a reasonable conversation and hold and hold my, you know, where I am and listen to what they have to say too. And on the student level as well, it's kind of what Cherie just described to me is what we in the K-12 space, there's a lot of talk about SEL and social emotional learning. And I think that is coming into the college space more, but the idea of SEL as a standalone divorced from justice I think is problematic, right? And so it's it's not how do I teach a kid how to be quiet and not disrupt the class and that's SEL. And so now it's all that kid's problem, right? It's how do we collectively do our own work and our interpersonal work as a group, as a collective, so that we can have discussions about this stuff, not so we can ignore justice and injustice and never talk about it. And that's that's gonna be good for their, you know, their systems as kids. Um, but how do we actually create people who will go into the world who currently as students are in the world as leaders in their own spheres and be the leaders that we want to see. We have to do this work like that with them too. I love some of these these techniques and just being more mindful as doing some of this work and trying to facilitate and trying to move move the needle a little bit for, for participants. And, and it can be paradigmatic and the shifts that we're trying to, to facilitate with with our learners. And so I'm, I'm curious, how can leadership educators stay updated with how to maintain the levels that they need to because they're they're, they're doing so much of this work. I mean, there was, there was a great article in, in a New Directions uh, for Student Leadership issue, gosh, maybe a year and a half, two years ago. And one of them was about leadership ed- educators playing the role and serving the role as social justice educators. And so we're, you know, we're thrust into this work all the time. And so I'm curious on that note, how can we, or are there some other techniques that leadership educators can use to use what's happening to help students? Like where can they get some of these tools or what are some techniques that maybe you've, you've tried out that you found to be effective? So I'll speak to the, the pedagogy and the curriculum aspect of it. So I think it's, it's what you teach and it's how you teach. So in terms of just as the teacher lens there, we want to have curriculum that embeds current events. So what I do, for example, in my gender, race, and society class right now is we meet twice a week on the second meeting. So currently that's a Wednesday for us. Wednesdays are all case studies. And so as I plan, when I actually have to submit my syllabus, it's pretty empty on Wednesdays because I have some ideas maybe from the past year of like, 
this might be a good thing. There are some things that we reuse because they're just perfect case studies. But then there are other things that pop up literally the day before that Wednesday class. I'm like, this is what we need to talk about, right? When we when we look at the per, what I would call performative allyship of the Super Bowl, and I want to ask the question, is this performative allyship or is the Super Bowl actually actively being anti-racist? Like that's, I want to have that conversation with my students. And if I already plan the Wednesday lesson, we're not having the conversation. And so I think one, the flexibility to embed current events like that, it takes some bravery because as I submit to my department chair, I don't have Wednesdays all fleshed out and in my syllabus and it takes some support from admin in that way, um, but also the pedagogy. And so no matter what we teach, no matter if we're in the business school, if we're in teaching leadership, if we're teaching sciences, math, whatever it is, if we're embedding student leadership and student voice in these classes as well. Um, if we're embedding project-based learning in a way where they're applying what they're learning to actually advance justice. I just recently redid my activism project or my third uh, project for my class to be an activism project where you actually have to take action. You have to study activism and you have to do it yourself as opposed to just tell me about this person. Um, you know, we want to actually write an op-ed and submit it to a publication, or we want to do these things that actually are saying, you are leaders, you have voices, you matter. Um, on a on a micro level, on a lesson level, every day I start class, I say, here's the agenda. What do we think? What do we want to change? Does this look good to you? What's missing? Would you want to spend more time here? What's not working for you? Instead of doing that, where often I think college professors do that at the end of class. So at the end of the semester, all right, tell me what you thought about the class. And now what am I going to do? I can move it to the next class and use that advice, but didn't really help the students in my class this semester. So I think those are just some key ideas I would share. Dr. Sheree, anything you, you might add? And I'm going to give you 30 seconds to, to brainstorm. I just wanted to comment on, on something that Lindsay had said, because you brought up uh, John Worgen's episode. And I love this idea of, of it having students take action. And that was one of the, the key differences that we found when John and I were talking about critical thinking and then like critical leadership. And like, what does it mean to like lead critically? And uh, some of the, the scholarship on this idea of, of leading critically is it's not just thinking, it's action. It's like, take action. Okay, you've thought critically, like, great, like kudos to you, which, which again, that is a, something that we really, really want our learners to do. But now that you've had that opportunity and you've figured it out, now take some action and, and implement and, and respond proactively and, and you know, to whatever the issue or, or, or idea is. So, Cherie? So we are, as leaders, like leaders in the classroom or leaders wherever we are, that leader is the same person who shows up at home, who shows up in, you know, in the workplace, who shows up at the store, right? So we're not separated from ourselves. And so if we can recognize that, you know, um, to me, this takes it, this requires an embodied approach to leadership, right? So who I am sitting here now talking to you, I'm the same person when I talk to my neighbor and I'm ticked off at my neighbor, right? So those cannot be separated. And, and, and based on that, you know, um, I, I think it's important for us to recognize that um, in, in recognizing that, in recognizing that we are one person, um, what do we need to do to really connect all those pieces so that my teaching is not separate from my, my leadership, my teaching is not separate from justice, my teaching is not separate from care, right? It's all together. And, and so when we talk about action, you know, I, I, I I know that action is required, but this is the one thing that, that scares me because I see it all the time. It's like, what do I do, 
right? And, and what you do is you got to kind of like look at what's happening first in you because there is so much harm that can occur when well-intentioned people go out and, and, and try to take, you know, take action on things that they don't fully understand. They don't understand how they come into it. They don't understand how they're perceived. They don't even understand you know, what, what, what is happening within the, their own bodies and how they're interacting with one another. So action is absolutely critical, but you know, action with yourself um, sometimes people don't feel like that's action because they want to do something tangible. But I promise you, you know, uh, one of the things that we can do is, you know, work with somebody, map out your responses, map out how you're navigating through life. Understand that, right? That's a huge action that you can take. And so if instructors understood that when I'm having this conversation, oh, and I start to feel this stuff in my body, that is what is informing my answer. So my state is informing my story. Right? And so if I can if I can get a hold of that, if I can understand it, then I can perhaps create a new story, right? Because I'll know what state I'm in. And so that action for me will always be here first and then outward, or, or even it's a parallel process, I would say. Oh, I, I love that you shared that. And it actually relates to a conversation that Dan and I had with Nyasha and Zach. So they created a little mini group. It's like five of them. They were together in the same breakout room at a conference over the summer and they stayed connected and would meet once a month. And so when things would pop up, they were then in that group kind of talking about kind of what they should do. So for example, one of the, the women in their group, I believe she was based in Japan. And so when all of the, um, issues started coming out and you start to see more on the Asian American community, she then in that group, they were able to have conversations like kind of, how do I bring this into my class? And she was able to say like, from my perspective, here's some things you may want to consider. And they were able to process it. So Sherry, what you were saying, like makes total sense. It's like, you kind of, you test it with that, those small group. Um, there are various identities showing up in that group. Um, like one of the gentlemen is like from a really conservative part of Georgia. And so, but the thing that was nice was you have this community of people that you have a relationship with, you have that psychological safety, you trust them, and you're able to say kind of, you're able to be vulnerable and say, you know, I, I'm not sure how to do this and I don't want to hurt anybody in this process. Help me think through this, 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 what I'm trying to do. Right. And so it's like, how do we then kind of foster more of those groups where there's the element of like various identities, not just visible, but also some deep, deep diversity. There are these various identities, as well as there's this trust that's being, that you're able to sustain over a pretty significant period of time. It feels like that's, that's the next move kind of for ourselves in terms of professional development. Um, I just saw today on Instagram, there's this like application for like a like-minded community and it's, they give you like your own support or empowerment team. So you fill out this application based on whatever it is you fill out an application. They put you in a cohort of seven other women. It's, it's for uh, people who identify as women. Um, they put you in this group of seven people and then you become that, that support group for each other based on your responses. Right. I, I, I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. Like that, who thought to make a business model about that? But then thinking about it, like, that's what we need, right? We need those folks that are, we're not regularly going to cross paths with who have a different perspective to kind of come in and help us navigate. Um, so your comments made me think about that. So can I respond to that? Um, because Lauren, you made, you, you, you moved me to think about a practice that Lindsay and I do. 
Um, and, and so for me, it's, it's always practice as well. You know, you have to practice this thing because what we do every day is our practice, right? Um, and so Lindsay and I, a while ago, just agreed that we would, we would, have, we would form a ritual every time we connected. And so we check in with one another, right? Because it's important to know that, you know, um, I might be coming in cloudy or whatever. So, so that when I say something that doesn't make sense, then she can go, oh, she's cloudy today. And perhaps she can challenge me on my cloudy, uh, on the statement that was made, right? So it's about practicing and finding places to practice. And I promise you, everywhere we go, everything we do is a practice, right? And so if we could understand that we're not separate from anything, that what we do every moment is our practice. And those small, those small practices really inform the larger practice, right? That's, that's a really messed up version of, of Adrian Marie Brown's work. But you know, what, we do, what we do on the small scale really has impact on the larger scale. So if we, you know, if we can get it done here between us, right? Um, within us, around us, then I, I, I think that has a, a lot to do with moving the needle forward. Yeah, I love that, especially because that way helps, it allows for more identities to show up. So another conversation, Dan and I, I've had kind of off and on around this topic centers on kind of who can be in this space, leading this space. So I am of the belief that we need everybody at the table to navigate all of the, the things that we're seeing. Yet I, I often run into people who usually are white people who don't want to, because they don't want to offend, like they want to support, but they don't want to try and take over. They don't want to be labeled. You know what I mean? Like all of the kind of fear that exists there. Um, and so me, I'm always like, nope, you got to jump in. Like, you can't let that fear stop you. You're valuable to this conversation, but there's a real thing, you know, there is going to be some pushback. And so it feels like, you know, testing those, uh, testing the assumptions from ITC theory, testing those big assumptions that you have, can you do something to take a test test? Like for example, at Temple, we have a diversity in public relations class. Can we have a white person, like a white man, come in and guest lecture in the class? And then can he lead a couple of classes? And then next thing you know, the students are used to it. They, they always talk, so they can always share their experiences, but you're able to test that before you then maybe assign that person to that class, right? And it's like these little things we can do to ensure that we're critically thinking and taking action um, about our steps and about, you know, what we're, we're trying to do so that we don't just kind of create these, you know, big issues or big problems as we go in. I mean, like that's a small example, but I'm sure we could think of kind of various identities as they go into these spaces. Um, but ultimately, how are we kind of creating trust? Um, anyway, um, so we've, y'all have shared some really great things. Um, is there anything that maybe we didn't ask you that you want to share before we, we wrap up today's episode? Anything y'all want to leave? our audience of leadership educators with? I think one of the things that you, as you brought up identities and various identities, I think intersectionality is a huge piece of the work. Um, I look at, like I was, the last class I taught last Wednesday was on the movement for black lives and the black lives matter movement and specifically their intersectionality in their calls to action. So it's not just uh, about like uh, a racial group as monolithic, right? It's not just black lives matter and in that piece, but it is all Black Lives Matter, right? When we look at trans Black lives, when we look at um, people with disabilities, when we look at people who have different immigration statuses, like there's so much complexity to people, right? And I think our work is all about digging into that complexity. And so, uh, right, this idea from Fannie Lou Hamer, right, if we're, we're nobody's free, if, uh, yeah, nobody's free, if any, if any, yep, I, I'm going to butcher that. <laughs> we know what you meant. Thank you. <laughs> everybody's free, everybody's free. Yeah. 
Thank you. And so this idea is so critical, I think, to all of our work. Um, I think it reminds me as well of Goldie Muhammad's book, one of the best books on instructional um, instruction and curriculum development of 2020 of, of all time, I think, Cultivating Genius, where she talks about how we have to center identity and justice. She talks about centering skills and intellect as well, but she draws from historically Black literacy societies um, in the United States. And she says, these are the four pursuits. These are the four things that make all education successful. We can learn from this. And I think we do skills. We do intellect. That's what we do in education. We often forget, how do I center justice in this lesson, in this unit, in this course? And how do I help people learn about themselves and their identities, as well as the identities of others? And if those two questions are at the beginning of how we form all of our curriculum and how we think about each lesson, I think we do a much better job there. And I, I don't know that I have too um, much more to say. Um, I just cannot emphasize enough um, my, my perspective on we have to, you know, do our own work, you know, and, and that means really getting inside and really paying attention to what's happening internally so that externally we can be projecting the thing that we think we're doing. It, it can show, right, because there's this uh, a, a disconnect um, that that often occurs, and until we can uh, connect ourselves right to to <laughs> and become whole persons, embodied embodied leaders, then then we're going to keep struggling. And that doesn't mean we don't struggle, but we can struggle in a different way. We can struggle with some safety. We can struggle with choice, right? We can have we can we can uh, create spaces that allow for choice and and allow for a connection and allow for safety. You know, mental, physical. Uh, psychological safety. And so I, I just cannot overemphasize, I cannot emphasize enough the, the necessity of, of taking that parallel process. You know, Heifetz talks about, you know, the parallel process of, of self and organization. It, it has to be a, a continual um, process. So that, that's it. Thank you. Totally agree. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. And and as you've given me something else to read, so I'm going to have to check out this Cultivating Genius that I, as I geek out like crazy on pedagogy, and so that that sounds like it's going to be a fun a fun read to to jump into, just like John John Worgen's book, which I geeked out like crazy on. So, well, again, thank you so much for for joining us today. That wraps up this episode of the Leadership Educator Podcast. Uh, best of luck to each of you as you close out your semesters, and hopefully, we'll get a chance to have you on again sometime in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. We would love for you to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Dr. That's Dr. Underscore Leadership. And uh, Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Mrs. Laura J-B. And you can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. And we also encourage you to subscribe and rate us five stars. As the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd also like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The Support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in New Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matthew White, trumpeter, composer, and educator. And he's currently an associate professor of trumpet, coordinator of jazz and commercial music, and director of ensembles at Coastal Carolina University. You can check him out at www.mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thanks so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, thank you to the Association of Leadership Educators. Check out what ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. We hope you'll listen to our next episode wherever you get your podcasts.